Hello and welcome to the PE Insights Podcast, conversations about physical education with me, Nathan Walker. Thank you for joining me. You're very, very welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as we delve into another insight around physical education. Yes, hello, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to another episode of the PE Insights Podcast. Some really, really exciting news recently, uh, PE Scholar have taken ownership of the PE Insights Podcast. Um, for you, it means that the episodes will continue, for me, it means that I'll continue doing my things, it's just the PE Scholar team are going to help me supercharge the podcast so the uh, the reach goes wider and we get to listen to more insights, so uh, an exciting opportunity uh, for everyone involved. Um, really looking forward to creating some uh, future valuable insight podcast episodes for you all to listen to and enjoy. Thank you for the feedback um, from everyone so far. Recent episodes of uh, gaining traction and getting some really good comments and, and inspiring people to change their practice. So that's the intention and that's what the intention will, will remain as moving forward. Um, so thank you for joining me again, which leads us into today's episode really um one that i've been looking forward to doing for a while because um i've had lots of conversations with today's guest jordan wintle over the last couple of years um and i'm really inspired by the work that he is doing and has done um particularly on the topic that we're going to be discussing today which is uh, meaningful experiences in physical education um, and his educational doctorate where he's looking at meaningful experiences through lifestyle sports and how that can be implemented in, in PE settings. Um, Jordan is the Associate Head of School for Education and Science at the University of Gloucestershire and has lots of experience of working in initial teacher education and um, postgraduate PE teacher education programmes. So the aim of today's episode is for Jordan to, um, first of all, tell us a little bit about himself, but then more importantly, uh, well, maybe not more importantly, but the, the main focus is for him to explore, uh, explain and for us to explore his research around meaningful experiences in PE and what that might look like um, in secondary settings. So I really, I really enjoyed this one, actually, because um, it's something that I'm, I'm very interested in. So hopefully you will enjoy it as much as I did, too. Jordan, welcome to the PE Insights podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Nathan. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, and no, really looking forward to this one, mate. So thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to to come on and and, uh, and chat with us all. So first up, tell us, the listeners and myself, a little bit about your educational journey so far. Yeah, so let's start with where I am at the moment so it gives people some context. So uh, at the moment, I'm Associate Head of School for Education and Science at the University of Gloucestershire. Just recently moved into that role. Mm-hmm. So I have been there for 10 years working in teacher education, uh, undergraduate PE, PE and coaching and delivering into our uh, postgraduate teacher training programs in physical education as well. Mm-hmm. Going back uh, going back further than that, so that was 2014 when I joined the University of Gloucestershire. I never really envisaged myself um, working in higher education. Uh, I started PE teaching uh, in 2005, uh, having done my teacher training with the University of Gloucestershire as well. Um, so spent 
nearly 10 years uh, working as a, a PE teacher and during that time, second in PE, head of PE for a short time in that period as well. Um, and I had some great colleagues. Uh, one of them was called Gareth Sweet and he'd been mm-hmm. in the PE department at the school where I was working uh, for kind of 30 years and and he was kind of my idol. And so I thought I'm going to do that because I absolutely loved uh, teaching physical education in secondary schools and yeah, thought that I could see myself doing that for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, but you get involved, got involved with trainees in terms of mentoring trainees in the department and going into the university and doing some guest sessions and stuff like that. And then an opportunity came up to look at going into lecturing or working in higher education uh, full time. So, yeah, I kind of took that leap of faith um, a little bit like yourself, yeah, really, Nathan. Yeah. Um, and yeah, haven't looked back, uh, haven't looked back since um, from there. I guess if we go a little bit further back, so yeah, like everyone else that I've heard on the the podcast, like kind of positive experiences of sport is a a child. Um, my parents were brilliant at getting me into kind of every mm-hmm. sport going. So I played a lot of football, a lot of cricket. My brother was only eighteen months older than me, so I always had someone mm-hmm. to play with competition uh, in the garden. Yeah, yeah bit of bit of uh, sibling rivalry yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. which uh, which I know probably relates to lots of mm-hmm. the listeners as well. Uh, yeah, and and have just really enjoyed you know sport and physical activity being part of my life um, over that time. So yeah, my my physical activity habits have have changed obviously over the years. Um, so whilst I played a lot of competitive team sports as a youngster, and you know my schooling was very much in that kind of traditional mould of lots of competitive team sports and all about the the, the school teams doing well and those kind of things. And so I was one of those lucky kids that you know that really worked for me yeah if i if i look back and think about some of my classmates i can kind of see now and i have you know over the last 10 years doing Mm. this role seeing that you know that kind of model of pe doesn't certainly work for everybody which has informed some of my work since then that we'll we'll go on to to talk about um as well but yeah i am kind of hyper competitive i think that comes from my parents um, so my parents met at a Man United game, uh, 1978 FA Cup final. Uh, so yeah, not much choice to be a United fan. So those of you that might be watching on a video can see um, Beckham, Ronaldo, and George Best up on the wall behind me. So yeah. some of some of the uh, great number sevens yeah. that we've had at Old Trafford. It's it's been a difficult time at Old Trafford for a few years. So yeah, please please take sympathy, uh, please take sympathy on me, and don't hold my club allegiances against me yeah. when you're listening to the to the podcast. <laughs> Brilliant, thanks, Jordan. Um, yeah, really, really great introduction. So that the listeners kind of contextualise your your, your viewpoints. Um, tell us a little bit more about why physical education is important then um, to young children. What what does it mean to you as a subject? Yeah, so uh, it's it's that pathway to to physical activity, and I guess that's not dissimilar to lots of the people that you've heard mm-hmm. on the on the podcast uh, as well. Um, but it's it's the friends that you, I've made through being physically active and involved in sport, and when I've you know been able to facilitate that for young people under my care through my teaching, you know, you see the positive outcomes that young people are able to achieve from being involved in physical activity, mm-hmm. sport, movement, however we want to. However, we want to package that, uh, and I guess it's for me. It always used to be 
I was like, oh, I've got to get kids fit and healthy. You know, that's that's the purpose of PE. Um, and now I've got into a space over the last probably 10, 10 years where actually that's a secondary outcome for me. And it's more about the pleasure and the joy and the fun and the smiles mm. that we can get um, through being involved in physical activity and in sport. Uh, and so now to me, it's like, why do I take part in all of that stuff? It's actually because I find it really fun and it's enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it keeps me fit and healthy, that's almost like a secondary bonus yeah. um, okay. to that as well. And we know if people are going to stay involved in stuff, it's it's normally going to be because of the fun, the enjoyment and the satisfaction that they get from it. Not necessarily the fact that they're going out and doing something which is going to prolong their life. So it's the old, it's the old Kretschmar kind of not only makes your life longer it makes it better uh, i guess is the short summary yeah brilliant and i think the um the kretschmar link uh, or the, the the finishing with the kretschmar links us nicely into the current work that you're doing would you like to share what what you're currently doing with with the audience uh yeah so i'm kind of coming into land i hope on my uh, professional doctorate um which i'm hoping to to get submitted uh, certainly this year and what i've been doing with that is implementing um lifestyle sports within physical education um through a meaningful pe informed teaching approach uh, so it's a it's been an action research project that i've been working on for uh just over four years now um and I'm kind of involved in that as a teacher researcher. So what I did last year was I delivered intervention units in two schools locally, secondary schools they were, um, where I implemented some lifestyle sports. So lifestyle sports, some of you hopefully might be familiar, a kind of non-traditional, um, more about participation than competition. Mm. Um, some examples would be things like parkour, skateboarding, um, street dance, those kind of sports that uh, that are high growth. We know they're high growth. Yeah. That's, you know, the data, the data is telling us that um, from participation rates, um, but they haven't necessarily been adopted in a widespread manner within physical education. So what I wanted to do was to go and try these ideas um, with some children kind of at the coalface, working alongside teachers in departments as well uh, and see what the impact was mm-hmm. um, of those of those units. So, yeah, it's been really interesting. It's been a lot of hard work trying to do that alongside a full time job. Um, yeah. But I've been, you know, I've been well guided. So I've got two supervisors that work with me. So um, Kira Lewis uh, was my previous head of school. She's now at Birmingham City University, a professor of physical activity. Mm. She does a lot of work around um, motivation, behavior change, uh, has done some work within the physical education space as well. Uh, and my other supervisor is one of your previous guests, uh, Liz Durden Myers, mm-hmm. who, who was also, you know, that physical literacy informed approach that she talked about. Yeah. Um, as well. So I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants <laughs> and Helps. with those two, yeah. with those two guiding, guiding me through the process. Um, yeah, we've got to the point where we've collected, I've collected all of my data. I've began data analysis um i've got a book chapter which is just going in second draft which should be out in the summer which is looking at some of the the data from that um and i'm presenting at icep in finland in the summer as well um so yeah it's kind of done well i can share do you want me to sort you through a little bit more of the methods um, and some of the findings what i'm I'm interested in what the the listeners might be uh, interested in is what would a a sequence of learning a unit of, of work whatever you want to call it look like um let's just say in key stage three if it was parkour but using the meaningful physical education lens what would that what that look like 
Yeah. Um, so the the unit that I delivered, we basically I came across parkour in about 2012. There was a, a, a man called Dan Edwards who mm. was pretty high up in the parkour world. I think he works for Parkour Generations or something yeah, like that. Now I met him at, um, um, in Hong Kong actually at a conference, an APEC conference yeah. years ago. Nice. So he did the first ever um teacher training cpd and parkour mm. uh, like kind of official um at the university of gloucestershire in 2012 and i jumped on it as a teacher so i kind of got introduced to it then mm. and picked up picked up a lot of content through that and then obviously through your own research and practicing picked up more content that you know you were kind of shaping into that kind of unit so the unit that the unit that i delivered within the schools um worked across six weeks so it it would roughly translate to two lessons a week within that the actual school that i delivered it in we did it slightly differently because of their timetable mm -hmm. um but we started off by breaking down parkour into the kind of key components so the first component we looked at was balance so we had you know a lesson or two based around the notion of balance and then we went on to looking at landing and part of that was landing and rolling. Mm -hmm. So we'd have another lesson or a couple of lessons based around that. In each time, it's like a picture in art. You're just adding another layer. Okay. So, you know, we don't obviously forget the stuff that we did in balance. So we go, right, let's take the stuff we did in balance and incorporate it with the landing. Then we look at uh, vaults. So we looked at parkour vaults uh, and we would then experiment with those. And again, add that layer to the picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, from there, we looked at hanging and swinging. So I was fortunate in the school that we had. They had so they had a, a set of wall bars that were actually well maintained <laughs> and they were used regularly. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to use like the wall bars and we looked at hanging and swinging and, and something called muscle ups, which is basically when you're kind of getting your body weight bar, up yeah. and pulling, pulling yourself mm -hmm. up above a bar or a surface. Um, the kids absolutely loved that. Um, and then we put all this together as we were going through with the kids <laughs> then doing low level, low level courses. So, you know, keeping the height quite low, but, you know, all the same skills and then some higher level courses as well. We did a lot of stuff involving tic tac movements, which are basically when you interact with the wall um, as well. And then what I was able to do throughout the unit, you know, informed by the meaningful PE approach was just gradually give more rope out to the students, more autonomy because their knowledge of the activity was increasing. So, you know, eventually at the end, I was going in in their groups. Um, here's some equipment. Go and set it up how you like. Give me a shout when it's set up so that I can check safety and all of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then I want you to interact with that equipment in any way you can. And we ended up, the last challenge that we did was getting them, uh, giving them all an iPad in their groups and they had to make an Instagram reel <laughs> um, that, that kind of drew it all together and showed me everything that they'd learned over the, the period that they we'd been working mm -hmm. on that um, as well. And obviously through the, the meaningful PE approach, I was, you know, we had individual and group goal setting mm. um we we made sure that we had time for reflection both within so kind of the kind of informal reflections when i would go around to each group and ask them how they're getting on yeah. and how can they make it better how can they make it harder um who's struggling what can we do to help them mm. and we obviously then had kind of the reflective periods at the end of lessons so i would do s simple things really like i'd put some of the features of meaningful pe up on the board and I'd ask them to, at the end of the lesson, here's a load of board markers, put a tally next to the two that were most important for you today. Um, and that would then just be a conversation starter with maybe a few students yeah. a way out. So it would just give me an indication of like, what were the, what were the elements or features that these guys really valued mm. um, as well? So that was helpful. Um, and that gradual empowerment that we were able to give throughout the unit as, as I was able to trust them. Yeah. Um, 
and they they knew more about the actual activity itself mm. that was kind of how it was informed and we did data collection wise with both of the units that I did. So that was the first unit I did. The other unit that I did was a CrossFit and kickboxing hybrid. Okay. Um, so we had some more negotiation with the heads of PE in that school about what was feasible. We did want to do skateboarding mm-hmm. and we did have some access to equipment, but then we found, you know, it was kind of right. We didn't really have uh, a suitable space and mm-hmm. we didn't have enough equipment for one each. And so that was potentially a barrier. So yeah. we, we drew, it, drew it back to something slightly different. So, you, you know, you being contextually aware um, mm. And also when you're working with schools, these schools were really trusting with me. They gave me their classes yeah. uh, for, for six weeks uh, and basically said, yeah, okay, we're going to trust you, do what you want. They knew me because I, you know, I've kind of been embedded in the local PE scene for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a risk. Um, and, you know, the, the schools had to do quite a bit of work for me in terms of ethical approval, mm. parent, parental approval and all those kind of things as well. Um, and the, the data collection was kind of pretty big. So we had uh, a, a mixed mixed method and multi-method approach. So there was a meaningful PE questionnaire that I developed that was done with the children pre the unit. So kind of looking at their normal experiences of PE. Yeah. And then again, when they'd finished the units, just reflecting on the units. Mm-hmm. So I can talk to you a little bit more about that. We then had the teachers doing observations. So I'd spoken to the teachers over a long period of time, trained them up a little bit in the meaningful PE approach. Yeah. So we had an observation that they did on me each lesson, looking for the features and pedagogies of meaningful PE. I kept a journal or a, a reflective journal. So using Rolf's model, I reflected on each lesson. Yeah. Um, about you know what so what what now kind of mm-hmm. uh, approach obviously lots of that was linked to meaningful pe as well yeah and then at the end of the unit um the i had nearly all of the pupils take part in focus groups okay to talk to me about their experiences um and then in a final interview with the teachers as well Ooh, so lots of data as you can see yeah like, i want the oh yeah i went kind of data mad um i I wanted to do some mixed method stuff mm-hmm. because I wanted to challenge myself. Like I think I'm quite comfortable in the qualitative space, but not so much in quantitative yeah. stuff. So, Snap. you know, I've, yeah, I've had, uh, I've had some good tuition from some of my colleagues mm. on getting back into SPSS and P values and all of those kind of things, looking at uh, the questionnaire data, um, yeah. which has been really, really good in terms of me learning some new skills and yeah, challenging absolutely. myself, but mm. also to be able to provide some, you know, there hasn't been much quantitative work in meaningful PE. No, um, because of the so, nature of you know, meaning, I suppose, and, and it all being about yeah. feelings, emotions. Yeah, and... yeah. So, um, so that's been great um, as well. And in the the meaningful PE questionnaire, I think I can talk you through that a little bit because mm. I think it's quite interesting for people to hear about how we developed that. So I wanted a, a kind of easy questionnaire for the kids to fill out, but robust enough that I could use it for kind of research purposes. There, there's some meaningful PE questionnaires that are out there for student voice, which, you know, very pupil friendly, yeah. user friendly, but probably not at a level to be used in kind of research. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I wanted to do something that was a little bit more robust. So I developed a questionnaire and I, I kind of made this from scratch myself where I had a Likert scale and three statements uh, that connected with features or pedagogies of meaningful PE. And they had to rank those on a kind of strongly disagree to strongly agree mm-hmm. with a neutral in the middle. So it's a five point scale. Um, and 
In addition to that, they had three statements linked to meaningful PE pedagogy, so the goal setting and reflection, and three statements linked to overall meaning of the experience Mm -hmm. in PE as well. They also had the option to add any of their own features. So there was kind of a space Mm -hmm. that is like, is there anything else that's important to you? Because, you know, it's not for us to prescribe to young people what what they find meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know, like, Tim and Deirdre have kind of said maybe creativity or adventure or health could Mm. potentially come into that pot um, as well. And then we had two qualitative statements. So it was, I like PE best when dot, 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 and the the children had to complete that sentence. And the one thing I would change about PE is dot, dot, dot uh, as well. So we were able to do some some qual and quant within that as well. Can you share Um, any of those or not? Are you allowed to share any of the responses you've got from children and and? to those two questions those two final questions uh i haven't got them i can think of some yeah, uh, offhand. yeah let me let me come to uh i'll come to that yeah, in a second so what i did with the questionnaire was i took it to what i've called an expert panel so i'm part of a international community of practice around meaningful pe that includes some of the original authors yeah. um spoke to steph benny as well mm-hmm. she wasn't actually part of that group but obviously her work in meaningful pe has been so yeah. pivotal mm. So kind of got some feedback from some key players in there and made some edits and adaptations to the to the survey based on on their input um, as well. Then we did some checking. So we had to check. So if you give someone a survey, you need to be confident that they're going to fill out that survey in the same way. uh, You know, if you gave it to them on two different days. Yeah. So we did some day to day reliability checking. Uh, So basically gave the survey to the same group of young people uh, spaced intervals. So I think it was they did it on day one, day five and day 10. Uh, And then we compared their answers to see how similar they were. So that that actually came back that the survey itself had quite strong day to day reliability. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Good. It meant that we could use it. we did some pilot testing with key stage three groups so that we knew that the language and all those, it was understandable. It was user friendly. It took about somewhere between seven to 14 minutes to complete for most young people. So, you know, not, not too long, but yeah. long enough that, yeah. you know, they need to sit down and spend a decent amount of time on it. Mm. Um, Just right. Well. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then we had to look at kind of the interest statement reliability. So yeah. if you, if you were looking at, let's say challenge, and we had three statements connected to challenge, we should get pretty similar answers to those three statements if that feature is important for that child. So then we once we'd got the survey completed, we had to then look at that reliability between the statements, Mm -hmm. um, which again came back um, quite strongly. So yeah, this was a lot of time spent on Mm -hmm. SPSS using some some calculations calculations, that that, that are quite quite complex. I don't think they need to go into too much detail Mm. um, in the pod um, just to keep people engaged. Um, but the, the the outcome was that we we found that this questionnaire was fairly reliable, it was user friendly, and that we could make some judgments based on the data from this questionnaire that we could be reasonably confident mm-hmm. that they were reliable. So when we did that and we looked at uh, the different units, so we basically had parkour was like a, a, a big responder in this particular school that I worked in. So we had kind of statistically significant um, improvements for competence, for fun, for challenge for choice, for overall meaning, and for MPE pedagogy. So there was you know, some strong indicators mm. within this, the data there that this parkour unit delivered through a meaningful PE approach um, did have a very positive effect in terms of the, the features and the overall meaning of that unit for those young people involved. 
Um, slightly different story in the the CrossFit in the kickboxing stuff as well. Mm. So um, competence actually went down. Okay. Um, and you know the explanation for that is that they were probably doing an activity that none of them had been exposed to before. Mm. So that you know it's no surprise then that someone would feel less competent than perhaps something yeah. that they'd been doing for a number of years. So mm-hmm. that was okay. Um, choice was one that was pretty close to statistically significant, but wasn't. And I guess the difference between the two schools was that the, the second school where I did the CrossFit kickboxing, inadvertently, they were already doing a lot of stuff that would look like meaningful PE. Okay. Um, just good practice, you know, good practice, yeah. PE stuff that they picked up. Now, the teachers, when I spoke to them, didn't know that it would fall under the, the meaningful PE umbrella, bracket, but yeah. it was just, it, it was in with, with the ethos of the department mm. in those. And they had already had some um, implementation of some different activities and stuff in that school, whereas the parkour school was very traditional. So it was a big step okay. change yeah. in there as well so that's why but even within the crossfit in the kickboxing i could see within the data that there were some children you had kind of responders and non-responders so whilst collectively the picture wasn't quite as clear um you could see that actually taking part in the crossfit kickboxing hybrid unit for some pupils it was a real big positive and a big difference to what they would experience in normal pe as well so that that was kind of the summary of the statistical data that came out from those as well i'm still working through some of the qualitative analysis but i've done some bits of that yeah so looking at the the sit downs with the teachers when we did the interviews at the end um some great insights from there and i've been able to look at the reflections as well so essentially the teachers were kind of looking at how some of these lifestyle sports through a meaningful pe approach kind of do align very well with what people articulate is their kind of the purpose of pe so it was you know it was all about you know their purpose of a PE was similar to ours that it was you know about encouraging the physically active lifestyle yeah. and that they could see the the potential for these types of activities mm. to be more integrated into the school curriculum, um, particularly when you marry them with a complementary approach yeah. uh, as well, which was kind of the second theme that came out was that actually the activity was really important because it was something new, mm. novel, and it connected with young youth culture in those kind of things, but actually linking the activity with the approach was actually kind of almost like yeah. a catalyst that, okay. that made the, the the fire burn brighter i mm. guess for some of those young people um and when we when we talk about learning within some of these particularly in like lifestyle sports like parkour and skateboarding traditionally the learning in those sports in the real world is very organic yeah so you know you don't often have a parkour coach no, uh, no. working with a group. I know they do exist. Mm. So you know, but uh, you know, a lot of poor learning in those sports is like uh, kind of nail it or fail it. Uh, you know, give it a try. Mm. Repetition, repetition, repetition. So what we try to do with the units is try and use that meaningful PE approach to almost recreate with some boundaries around safety, but try and recreate that kind of Mm. organic learning that would happen for those sports in their natural environment. And so that, you know, the theme that came out of that was linking the activity with the approach. Yeah, that's that's one one thing that was like springing to mind when when I'm listening to you talk about that was, would it have had the same effect if those activities were used with a more, for want of a better word, traditional approach to teaching? If they just took the activity and broke the skills down and did skill development, would it have had the same impact for those children as when yes. you've done it with a meaningful PE approach? It's a it's a good question. Um, I guess 
if I really wanted to look at just the activity, I would have had to isolate that and make sure that the teaching approaches were kind of more mm. traditional, um, you know, teacher led, directed. Yeah. Right, here's a here's this here's this type of vault. I want everybody to do this. Mm. Off you go. Um, whereas, you know, I still did teach people techniques. So, but I'd I'd always I'd go down the route of kind of exploration before explanation. Yeah. So it would be, there's a box. Mm. Can you, as a group, work out how many different ways you can get over that? Um, and the parameter for success is obviously you've got to get over the box, but also I want it to look efficient, smooth, yeah. you know, all those kind of things mm. as well. And then if children come to a point there where they were, they got to a point where like they're stuck, that's when I would go in and say, mm. okay, here's one example that I can, here's a step vault, yeah. for example. Yeah. And, I, and I would give them a little demonstration, a walkthrough, and then say, right, off you go, you can have a go. But I didn't want that to be the starting point um, of mm. the delivery in those environments yeah. as well. So yeah, it was. And I don't think, you know, just because we're going for an approach that gives some autonomy and agency, it's not, it's not hanging them yeah. out to dry with, with no support. Mm. You know, there's a difference between that. So it's being able to spot you know the teachable moments or when it's when yeah. it's right to go and intervene mm -hmm. but my first intervention normally would always be with a question yeah rather than direct instruction yeah yeah, well, yeah. i think it's absolutely um, right isn't it because i think when some people look at meaningful pe that they the kind of focus straight away is it's autonomy it's agency it's democratic it's student voice it's maybe more standoffish from the teacher that's not that's absolutely not true because Developing competence is one of the key features of Meaningful PE. And yep. we have the ability to to control that. And if, if going in and providing some clear instruction is, you know, is is how you do that, then great. It's not, you know, it's not a call for, for the opposite at all. No, no. And there, you know, there there's is it's about spotting the right moment. I guess it's mm. something which, you know, we look for. But but in terms of that as well my priority filter for decision making in those moments would have traditionally been right let's look for the kids that are doing it wrong and go in go and get him and help them mm. uh straight away and i guess what i had to do from which was different to when i probably taught 10 years ago was right remember right my priority filter is the features in pedagogies of meaningful pe so when i'd set people off on a task and i step back for a couple of minutes um which i'd encourage everyone to do yeah. um is actually my decision making was based on the features of meaningful PE. So where can I see where they're happening? Where can I see where they might not be happening? And that's where I would go first to, to intervene in some way mm. to try and help that um, yeah. as well. And also, you know, it's not up to me to decide what meaningful PE features um, are relevant for Every any individual. group. Mm. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm trying to let them guide some of that. Um, it's very difficult. Like let's, you know, I've found sometimes there were times when I was trying to use this approach where I felt a bit uncomfortable, yeah. um, you know, because it's something that was relatively new to me, although I would say my understanding around it is quite good mm. and, and it fits with kind of my values and my ethos. So it, it maybe comes more naturally than perhaps it might do for some other Others, people yeah. um as well but you know that's that's that depends where it sits uh -huh. and that was kind of the the final theme that came out from some of the reflections and the data that i collected from the teachers was that there were barriers and enablers to this and one of the enablers was that 
it fits with you know the ethos of the department um mm. but not not just the department but the ethos of the school yeah and then the ethos of the individual teacher as well so it's kind of you know that kind of macro to, to micro, micro kind of yeah. scale um <laughs> as well so that that was important and there mm. were you know clearly I was lucky that the schools probably did have a good ethos because they they'd invited me in to do this. There were lot, there were some schools that said no. Yeah, uh, you okay. know, I went out I went out to a few <laughs> schools and they said really, you know, we can't fit it in our curriculum yeah. or those kind yeah. of things. So, um, that's there as well. The other point that came out around the delivery was kind of teacher competence and mm. you know their ability to deliver parkour or their ability to deliver crossfit or kickboxing um you know that that was something that for them they they sat back and were like oh well i'd need to if i wanted to do this i'd need to do some homework or some cpd to be able to do that so you know there's been some work around lifestyle sport development in kind of teacher education programs so yeah really important uh, mm. Yeah, so Tom Leader and Lee Beaumont, who are both at university at UEL, I think, uh, on the on the far side of the country, mm. uh, over in the east, um, they've done some work around teacher CPD. Yeah. Uh, within that, and you know, it is something which is growing, but it's not it's not common practice. So you know, I I, I do with my undergrads, we have a whole unit on non traditional activities yeah. uh, in meaningful mm. PE as well so they're pretty lucky but i know if you speak to lots of practicing teachers it, it's out of their comfort yeah. zone um so yeah. we would need that and the other point that came across was um was funding uh you know so it's no secret that school budgets are pretty tight certainly here in the uk mm. uh, and that for some of these activities uh you do need some specialist equipment yeah. so i was lucky for parkour we were using lots of gymnastics equipment so it was kind of there already but for for the kickboxing unit we you know I had to take equipment from the university that we had to be mm. able to facilitate that. So, you know, focus pads, mitts, kick shields, and, and effectively, if you wanted to run that unit with a, enough equipment for one class, you'd need, you'd need a thousand pounds worth of equipment. Yeah. And for some schools, that, that's just a, a, a blocker mm. straight away. Mm. Yeah, it's a barrier, So, which is really sad. Um, but we've also got to be realistic about the world that we're living mm. in um, when there is one. We've got to make some, some tough decisions sometimes. Yeah that's um thank you so much Sean. that's really insightful loved uh loved listening to that um and good luck with the rest of it you know hopefully that you know it's a big it's a big deal so congratulations for the work you've done so far um just off the back of that then um you've kind of alluded to w what you believe might be good practice but I, I just want you to kind of encourage teachers um if you were to encourage teachers with your teacher educator hat on day to day what can they do in in practice or in their daily lives that's going to be uh you know what are your golden bits of advice for them yeah i guess the first first one for me is kind of pupils first mm. um and you know what i used to find out so much about pupils and what they like and what they don't like when i was on duty uh and <laughs> i'd be stood out the front i'd be stood out the front of the sports hall at the school i was working at with a normally with a cup of coffee which back in those days you could have a cup of coffee without a lid on yeah. it um <laughs> and uh and just chatting to the chatting to the pupils and try and chat to the pupils that aren't just the sporty ones mm. um, because it's really really easy um and i connected really well like most teachers p teachers do with the kids that are like them um but try and try and chat to the the kids that aren't like you yeah uh, and that yeah. would be something that i would really I think really encourage i had a conversation uh, and I encourage, try and encourage trainees to do yeah, the same i had a conversation with greg dryer recently who said exactly the same things he said the ones that come and knock on the pe staff room door aren't the ones that we need to be worried about so much it's the ones that we don't don't interact with that we need to be making a conscious effort to do so 
Yeah, great advice. Um, the, the, I've got two more for you, yeah. Nathan, as long as we've got time yeah, for absolutely. those. Um, so the, 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 the second one is don't be afraid to try something new. Mm. Um, and, and with that, I guess, is the caveat is like, don't worry if it doesn't work first time. Um, mm. You know, if we're going to develop practice, uh, whether it's, you know, new activities, new approaches, uh, you know, those kind of things, don't be afraid to try something new. Um, and if anyone stands in your way and says, oh, no, we can't do that. Uh, the way that I've found to get around that is just say to anybody that it's a trial. It's a trial and we'll see how it goes. And most people that are pretty reasonable will let you do that. Um, and if you can show something that works or show that it works for some pupils, then, you know, you don't know where that might lead to oh, yeah. uh, next as well. Love that. Uh, and the final one. Uh, the final one was basically look after yourself. Uh, you know, in, in the busy world of teaching that we live in, my, my wife's still a teacher. Um, it's it's a really demanding job, but it's the most important job in the world. Um, and you can only do it really well if you're looking after yourself. Uh, mm. So, so yeah, take take time out for you and do whatever you you like to do as your your hobbies, your interests uh, to, to make sure that you're in a good place for the children on a Monday morning. Yeah, here, here. My wife's still a teacher and she would completely agree with that as well. And as do I. Um, I've got written down next to me. Remember to ask a question about the five things that annoy Jordan about PE, Twitter or X. So off the back of that health health warning, do you want to yep. expand on that? The, those things that annoy you about the, the PE space yeah. on Twitter or X? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been on, I don't know how long I'd have to go and look at my profile. I, don't, I think I've been on PE Twitter for about 10 years um, and I love lots about it. So that's the first caveat about this is, you know, it's a great place. Lots of people supporting each other, um, you know, sharing <laughs> good practice um bits of research and those kind of things but i guess some health warnings i guess um that might be useful for people to recognize and remember um first one is that there's only probably a small percentage of p teachers that are actually on twitter um when i work with departments and you know quite often mention you know that element of you know you on twitter and those kind of things um and probably most of the p teachers that i speak to aren't on twitter so mm -hmm. i guess that's just like just remember that most p teachers aren't on twitter so if you're if you're trying to put something out there it might not reach all of the people that you want it to reach and i guess from my point of view as a researcher um you know just because i put something on twitter it doesn't mean that it's getting to the cold face mm -hmm. so we maybe have got to be more creative about how we get those messages yeah. to the front line and this platform is a great example of one of the avenues that we could use to, to get there better. Mm. So I guess that's the, the first one. Um, the second one is again, like FOMO. So fear of missing out. <laughs> so when I first started on PE Twitter, um, I used to try and catch up with everything that had happened uh, on PE Twitter. And I think yeah. now I probably follow over a thousand people. Like there's no way that I'm gonna be able to keep up with everything uh, that is going on on PE Twitter no. um, online. I think of PE teacher Twitter is uh, Twitter in general, basically like a river. And sometimes if you're fishing in one spot, sometimes you just got to kiss goodbye to the stuff that was further down the line. If it was really good or it was that important, it will come back round again. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't spend half your life scrolling through Twitter um, as, as well, I guess would be something to think about there. Yeah. Um, couple of other ones, I guess these are little ball ones that might grind my gears a little bit. Um, opinion gaining greater traction than robust research. Uh, so, you know, I know 
it's always good to have debate in those kind of things. But uh, I've seen some opinion that gets thrown out um, and people will jump all over it. And yet I see a piece of research that probably someone's put in years and years of work to get out there. And it basically just goes on by and no one really notices. Um, So again, yeah, just another kind of health warning. Just be be critical just stick your critical hat on when you're looking at stuff and i guess that comes out as well so there's a couple of other bits so um a resource pylon uh i have you know i'm all for teachers helping teachers but you know be aware that sometimes the resources that you see on twitter are really good sometimes they're not so good and i see sometimes people jumping on uh board a not so good resource and i'm thinking oh god please don't use that with your pupils so yeah just Mm. you know keep that critical hat on um what works in one context might yeah. not always work in yours. Yeah. Um, and you see a thread of, of you see a thread of like 160 email addresses saying, "Can I have a copy?" Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Be careful with your GDPR on that as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone will be after your your data. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess the last one that I'd written down was um, sharing of um, inappropriate, poor practice um, or out of context practice. So sometimes I see some stuff on Twitter where they're sharing stuff that's clearly from like a uh, an academy sports kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And that, that might not always transfer into a PE context uh, as well. So, again, it's just, you know, looking at something. To having that critical lens to just go right would that work in my context with my children um would i need to tweak it for it to be able to work um as well so yeah just being a, being aware of the limitations i guess of twitter would be some of those points that we've covered um on there as well and what you know i'd speak to my trainees about this it's like mm. i i'm on twitter because i get more value out of it than i do the negative stuff as well but equally i'm probably spending less time on there because it <laughs> it sometimes annoys me a little bit that things that are inappropriate or that, but I'm not really one for calling people out on Twitter because I don't know people. I don't know their context. Um, and so, you know, if it's not for me, I'm happy to, to leave it, but I am happy to kind of try and educate people to just look at stuff through a critical lens. Yeah. Fantastic. Some, some sage advice, Jordan, really, really appreciate that. Um, so I think that kind of brings us to a close on the episode. It's been a full of absolute gold dust, I think. You know, your, your research around the meaningful PE and what you're doing with lifestyle activities, um, the advice on, you know, how to how to use the platform that, that you know, some of us use, but not all of us use is, is really good advice as well. Um, so thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts and your insights. I've, I've really appreciated the conversation. Yeah, no worries. Uh, you know, it's great. A stellar lineup of guests. It's good to join the uh, good to join the list yeah. uh, and be alongside some some great people on there as well. And yeah, keep keep doing the good work, Nathan. Because I think yeah, giving people a voice that is a different avenue for people to explore through a different platform, I think is is great work and really important. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jordan.